our reading this morning um, is from the New Testament and it's from Luke chapter 16 um, verses 1 to 13. Uh, which is in 1050, if you're in church this morning, page 1050. So Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job and I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I shan't even attempt Kai's lovely people bit. But, uh, go on. Good morning, lovely people. <laughs> Sorry, Kai. It's great to be here again uh, on the platform. Um, hello as well to everybody at home in living rooms. It's good to be there as well. Um, and it's nice to be able to sing the hymns for a change. Dioch Margaret for playing this, although I was told off I was singing a bit too loud on that first one. Just wait till the final hymn. Um, As Sue's explained, um, uh, it's Easter holiday time there. We don't have enough clergy 
to, to, to go around. So I'm here, though I am wearing what Kai calls my trendy vicar outfit. Um, all I need apparently is a little bit of, you know, do the collar up and a little bit of white there and I'll be okay. Um, as Hannah mentioned earlier, um, over the next five weeks we're moving into our next topic in our exploration of discipleship, looking at generosity. It's a great theme. We all know generous people. We count ourselves as, as generous. Generous people are able and willing to give. They give both financially and of themselves in a way that benefits the recipient. Gifts may include time, money, things, encouragement. Generous people are also able to receive in a way that the giver gains from that interchange. I was reading as well that generosity, it's been suggested, reduces stress, supports one's physical health, enhances one's sense of purpose, and apparently it's been shown to increase one's lifespan. So with those things in mind, we'll turn to this morning's reading. But before that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to come to listen to your word again this morning. Open our hearts and minds to what you are saying to us. Bless us individually and as a church family as we spend time thinking about this passage from Luke's gospel. We ask it in your name. Amen. Now, when Hannah Green asked me if I was available to preach today, I said, yeah, no problem. I love doing it. It's great. I enjoy it. However, although Hannah had told me what today's reading was, I wish that I'd actually read it before saying yes. I've now read it several times. and It took me a long time. A lot of background reading, a lot of procrastination, pretty good at that, before just about maybe getting to grips with it. I even dreamt, I had a dream three nights ago about doing the sermon. I hadn't prepared. Glan was doing the, <laughs> Glan was doing the reading, and it was the wrong reading. I was preaching in a maze, and you were all sat in individual chairs. And after doing the reading, Glan said, I now want to talk about breweries. And I woke up in a cold sweat. Here are quotations from three sources I used when I was preparing. The first quotation. Any commentator will tell you that this is a difficult text. Great. And then another. This is an odd one. Indeed, the parable in Luke 16 surely counts as the oddest of all Jesus' parables. <sighs> wasn't looking good. Then I turned to theologian William Barclay. Right, this is it going to be. This, this is it. Who told me in the first sentence of one of his commentaries, it is quite clear that this is a difficult parable to interpret. I should have given up then. But no, I persevered. I think the crux of the problem, if it is a problem or issue with this parable, is that the hero of the parable, the figure that Jesus holds up as someone having something to teach us, is actually an anti-hero. He, he's a crook 
swindler, a cheat. The parable is unorthodox. In most of Jesus' parables, we have a protagonist who normally represents God, Jesus, a, a positive character. In this parable, it seems at least that both the main characters, both the master and the, 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 the manager, are somewhat shady. There have been some dodgy dealings going on. The manager, or the, the steward, the person who looked after his rich master's business affairs, is described in New International Version as shrewd. Other translations describe him as dishonest or crooked. That word shrewd could also mean wise or prudent. The rich master, when he commends his manager's activities and actions, maybe exposes himself then to be crooked or dishonest. Tom Wright, uh, for example, suggests that the, the amount that the manager deducted from the debtor's bills was, in fact, the amount of interest that the rich man had charged the people. So if the manager reduced those bills to the original sum, then the debtors would be indeed indebted to the, the steward, the manager, for doing that. William Barclay, again, sums it up nicely. He says, it's a story about as choice a set of rascals as one could meet anywhere. So surely it begs the question, what on earth was Jesus thinking? We'll come back to that later. Are you good with money? When spending it, yeah, exactly, yes. I was going to, the next question was, do you look after your finances well? But you've, you've, you've answered the question, Carl. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite lucky. I'm married to a business economics first-class graduate. Taught over 20 years ago, I believe, by one Andy Henley. I'm useless with money. Most of it goes on books, bags and briefcases. That's another story for another time. I don't know about you, but I always feel as well there's a, there's a slight awkwardness when, when we discuss money in organisations. I remember the part I hated most about being head of department was the financial bit. I couldn't get my head around how university finances work, but also I think I was forced to think about people, students, colleagues, in monetary terms. Students with a 9K thing around the, over their heads, how much granting is so-and-so bringing in. But anyway, enough of politics of higher education in church. I think it's even more awkward sometimes to discuss money in church. It's a difficult situation. You know, we, we know we're here to further God's kingdom in Aberystwyth, to bring people to Christ, to, to allow them to see how wonderful his love is for us. Yet, you know, at the same time, we know church finances are strange, diff, are strained, strange and strained. Difficult decisions need to be made. Can we afford to do X, Y, and Z? And at this point, I raise my hat to Andrew and Pauline and everyone else involved in managing the finances of the church and the LMA. Financial wealth can cause no end of problems all we need to do is to look at the news headlines every day so many stories to do with money whether that's the glitz and the glamour of the celebrity life the inequalities in society financial gifts or bribes to friends in political circles 
Should we make money based on other people's money? Then you have robberies, burglaries, so on and so on, at their root, money. The truth is, you know, money is one of the gifts that God has given us. Money in itself is not a bad thing. I think the key issue is what we do with it. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And I've heard many times, uh, quote, that the money is the root of all evil without that, that first bit. The love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money above all else, I think, that is dangerous, can lead to all kinds of trouble. If we treat money responsibly, use it in ways that furthers God's kingdom on earth, then surely that's okay. There's nothing wrong in that. It's when it's squandered, misused, used irresponsibly, used selfishly, not in a generous way, that trouble ensues. The shrewd manager, once he knew that he was about to be sacked after being found out, moved to fiddle the books, cheat his master, who possibly, some suggest, was cheating his customers, his debtors, and in doing that, making friends of his master's debtors. They would then be obliged to him to care for him once he lost his job. They would be in his debt. Looking at verses 8 and 9, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And now maybe this is where we go back to that question, what was Jesus thinking in, in, this, in this parable, in telling this, this story? When I first read it, and verse 9 in particular, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. I think I misunderstood. Was Jesus saying, use money to buy friends, people? That's how I so read it and thought, surely not. I remember, um, ooh, in primary school, this is going back when Crisp, Smith's Crisp were tuppence a bag. Ooh, there's a song in there somewhere. Um, I, I, I took money to school and bought a whole big bag of Smith's Crisps Bovril flavor, I remember, and just gave them to people because I wanted people, to, it's quite sad actually, I wanted people to be my friend, buying friends. I don't think this is what Jesus is saying here, but that's when I first read it. It's this, I think, this is what Jesus is saying. The manager is a sinner. He's looking out his own interests. He's looking for, out for himself, but he's also looking to the future and thinking, okay, how can I get these people on side? Maybe some commentators have suggested he is providing a model that disciples then and we can emulate. Because faced with a change in his circumstances, he was about to be sacked, he creates a situation that will benefit him and benefit others. By reducing people's debts, he creates a different kind of relationship with these people, not... Um, uh, lender and debtor but something more horizontal egalitarian, friendly I don't know maybe maybe what Jesus is saying here is that we need to do God's work with the same zeal that people pursue profits and pleasure and then we'd live in an entirely different kind of world do we spend more 
effort, more time on our pleasures, our hobbies, the garden, sport, whatever, than we do on church. Last quote from William Barclay for today. Our Christianity will only begin to become real and effective when we spend as much time and effort on it as we do on our worldly activities. Jesus is encouraging his followers, encouraging us, to be generous with their wealth in this life so that in the life to come, their friends will receive them into eternal dwellings. Similar to Jesus' teaching on wealth and sermon on the mount where he's encouraging his followers to lay up treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Old relationships Hierarchies overturned, new friendships established. In this way, outsiders, though those who are lower down in hierarchies in society, become the ones that we depend on to welcome us in internal homes. Luke places great emphasis on how the reign of God reverses the status of rich and the poor in chapter 1 verses 52 53 he has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble he's filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty chapter 6 verse 20 blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of god i think one thing that's that's key to to try and understand this parable is that the shrewd manager gave thought to the future and acted in the present with the future in mind. He knew that for now, at that point, monetary resources were one way to secure the kind of future vision that he'd seen for himself. So even though in this case it meant being devious, his desire to see his future turn into something uh, that, that he desired, then that would, that would help him conclude, I suppose, that it would be worth taking the risks he did in currying favor with his master's clients. And Jesus isn't saying, yes, we need to be devious in any way, but maybe we need to be shrewd in the sense of wise. The church, we may have a strong vision of the future, the kingdom of God, and what a future that will be. And that vision of the future should influence how we behave and act in the present. Or maybe when the church faces challenges and change, we need to reach out and create new relationships. Think unconventionally sometimes. Prepare. Act in a certain way. I think the climax of Jesus' message then comes in verses 12 and 13. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Here Jesus seems to be saying that, that all our riches belong to God. We must see that we are managing his resources. We're God's stewards. We need to be careful and manage what he's given us carefully 
We need to manage responsibly. And the message, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, God and money. You will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If God is our master, then our, our wealth and by wealth, you know, our talents, as we'll see in a fortnight's time when we're looking at the, the parable of the talents, our talents, our money, our gifts will be at his disposal. The faithful and just steward whose master is God will use that wealth in building up the kingdom of God. You can have both money and God, but you can't serve both money and God. And this, I think, underlines, reiterates a central theme in Luke. The kingdom of God entails giving up other commitments. Chapter 14, verse 33, Luke says, in the same way, Jesus talking to his disciples in the same way those of you who do not give up everything you 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 have cannot be my disciples those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples and then in chapter 18 where Jesus is answering the question from the rich ruler on how to inherit eternal life eternal life sell everything you have give to the poor you will have treasure in in heaven then come follow me as we saw in our study of Acts last year, the Christian community, that early church is one where the disciples share everything, distributing to all as any had need. Luke is talking about a different way of using wealth then. Our wealth, in all its, you know, the wealth in the broadest term, our wealth belongs to God, our generous God, and is to be used for the purposes of God on earth and not simply for our own interests. probably come way into my 20 minutes allocated but i apologize if the talk this morning is, has been a little bit unstructured or unclear in any way so i'll use in my defense the sentences i quoted at the beginning but i suppose what i wanted to say what i'll end by saying is this let's use the wealth in its widest sense that god has given let's use it generously let's use the generous gifts that god has given us responsibly and above all let's be thankful let's be eternally grateful for God's generosity towards us and remind ourselves that he sacrificed his own son on the cross for us. That ultimate act of selflessness, generosity and love. And in response, we owe our lives to him. Love so amazing, so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen.